We're continuing on with our series about the biblical home this morning. And I was asked to preach this message on the topic of singleness, because no one else wanted to. (laughs) But mainly because I do have fairly recent experience with it. Having only been married for a little over two years, and been a single adult for 10 years before that, many aspects of the single life are still familiar to me. And indeed, many of the habits of the single life are still working their way out of my system. <laughs> I'm going to need minimal involvement for this one. <laughs> um, and just the, just the general reminder for this series, this may not apply directly to you in many parts, but remember that if you're not single this morning, you know someone who is. Remember that we are a body and that those of us in this body who are single are available to, to learn and those who aren't are available to get to know those who are and become closer to them and understand them better and be able to minister to them. Singleness can be defined very clearly and simply. Singleness is not being in a marriage relationship. It's not just the teenager wondering when they'll have their first boyfriend or girlfriend. If you're a widow, you're single. If you're divorced, you are single. If you are engaged and your wedding is tomorrow, you are single today. And you'd better be acting like it. So how does singleness fit into our sermon series on the biblical home? I would hazard a guess that perhaps, unless you are a single adult, this sermon series had you picturing mom, dad, and the kids. Before I was asked to preach this message, that is what I was thinking. But it is obvious that not all homes are like this. Even with the college student living in his dorm, a home is being maintained in many important ways. And knowing how such a home, how any home, is to remain biblical is vital. God, we pray your word would go forth. We pray your spirit would speak, that our hearts would be open to listen. We just give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Our scripture today from Colossians is a powerful appeal from Paul to a church threatened by some very attractive and persuasive, but ultimately destructive, false teaching. At the end of chapter 2, Paul has just warned his readers that such teaching has an appearance of wisdom, but really does nothing to keep us from sin. Now, he entreats his audience to let Christ be their goal and their justification for holding on to the truth. Chapter 3 begins, If then you have been raised with Christ. This idea rules over Paul's entire appeal that his hearers are those adopted into the household of God through the work of God's Son. Paul understands the human tendency to make distinctions in every area of our life and repeatedly points out how God does not mirror our human distinctions. We're always comparing ourselves to other people. We're always trying to put everything in a category, trying to have life in a box, trying to understand it, trying to control it. But our distinctions aren't God's. In looking at attitudes and behaviors that we should avoid, Paul simply says there is not any cultural distinction an idea that would have been hard to accept in those days. These Colossians, who were Greeks mainly, hated the Scythians. And when he said there was no distinction between Greek or Jew, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free, that was a big deal. When stressing what we should do, 
he places us all as God's chosen ones. Those distinctions of place that Paul does make at the end of chapter 3, mothers, fathers, children, bondservants, masters, he repeatedly places in the context of serving God. You may notice that in the last nine verses of today's passage, the Lord, or an equivalent term, is used seven times. What matters to God is that Christ is Lord of the Colossian church, a fact that makes all the difference. So how does this relate to the single person specifically? Single people aren't even mentioned in this passage. First, it is a simple encouragement. The single Christian is, above all things, a Christian and has the benefit of Scripture's vast wealth of teaching, encouragement, and promises for all Christians to hold on to and build their life around. Second, it is a reminder not to place the distinctions we may see or feel in our lives on the same level of importance as those which God makes. Singleness may threaten to dominate a person's thinking or attitudes. It did mine for years. But keeping in mind that our thoughts and ways are not equal to God's can help keep it from ruling our lives. Still, there are distinctions between the married person's life and that of the single person. And it's not wrong to explore them or question how they affect us. Hence this sermon. I would like us to look first at the challenges of being singleness. Uh, excuse me, being single. Before all else, understanding singleness from scripture can be challenging because scripture does not often speak about it specifically. Aspects of the single life are certainly touched on, such as the temptation of widows or how young adults in the church are to relate to older members. Proverbs may hold the most comprehensive treatment of the single life in the writer's instruction to the young man. But it can take some work to understand, say, the temptations that are unique to singles or the way in which single Christians are uniquely positioned to serve God. The Bible does not deal often with singleness, mainly because God does not want our focus to be on whether we are married or not. It is a staple of biblical studies that what scripture emphasizes is what we should emphasize. Again, we remember that God's priorities are not ours. And though it can be helpful to meditate on how our circumstances fit into God's plan for us, trying to find every answer and reconcile every struggle in our lives through that meditation will only lead us to anxiety and despair. Singleness, like every other circumstance in life, is an exercise in trusting God. Something else to ponder is that, regrettably, most of the causes of singleness are a result of the fall of man. This, is by, no, this by no means makes singleness sinful, or even something to be viewed negatively in and of itself. But we do not want to minimize or justify actions or attitudes that are outside God's design. Genesis makes it plain that it is not good for man to be alone. This flies somewhat in the face of women are nothing but trouble. <laughs> God's created order is that man is for woman and woman is for man. Death and divorce are not God's created order either, but consequences of our sin. And while he has graciously redeemed many lives, despite and even through these sad circumstances, his wisdom is such that he leaves no room in his word for us to grow comfortable with such things, as if they themselves were what God's good and beautiful design intended. As to singleness itself, 
there is some variation in how God uses this circumstance in people's lives. For some, singleness is a trial, and the desire for companionship wears at the soul. This was me since age 15, which is rather humorous because I really had no idea what I was even longing for at that point. This common challenge of singleness, battling discontentment, is very effective at disrupting our focus away from building our lives around service to God. Some face the very opposite challenge. They love being single. But the lack of covenant obligations and responsibilities toward another can lead some to a mindset that forgets our covenant obligations toward God, leading to lives chasing self-fulfillment and self-worship. Though opposite attitudes may exist with these two kinds of temptation, the result is the same. The benefits and drawbacks of our circumstances and how we might glorify and satisfy ourselves through them become more important than our purpose as the redeemed to glorify God. Sound familiar to any married people out there? I'll say it again. The benefits and drawbacks of our circumstances and how we might glorify and satisfy ourselves through them become more important than our purpose as the redeemed to glorify God. So where are we left? Scripture does not have a great deal to say about the challenges of the single life. Thankfully, this is because single people deal, generally, with the same struggles as married people, simply placed in a different context. We also understand that many of the circumstances that lead to singleness are not things to celebrate. Does this mean that singleness itself is a bad thing? Not at all. I want to be very clear. No matter what circumstances may lead to a person being or remaining single, God's plan is perfect, and his wisdom is unmatched. That person is fully able, through the power of Christ, to live a life of beautiful, miraculous, and memorable service to the Lord, and often one they could not lead without their singleness. The prime example of this is Paul himself. In 1 Corinthians 7, Paul goes so far as to wish that all his readers were as he was, unmarried. The circumstances of his writing to the church in Corinth make it clear that he wrote those words to that specific audience for a specific reason. But Paul still makes it plain that there can be great spiritual benefit to being single. Some may indeed be called by God to the single life which is our understanding of the super-spiritual word, celibacy. My understanding of scripture does not see this as in any way a mandated state for certain people, such as priests, nor even the reason some people remain single their whole life. But I believe that just as God may call some to abstain from alcohol, adopt children, become long-term missionaries, or follow a certain career path, he may call on some to find their relational fulfillment in him alone, and forsake intimacy and romance for the whole of their lives. Even for those not called to lifelong singleness, it is sweet to remember that God is the ultimate redeemer, and that the beauty and wisdom of his plan make every moment of our lives profitable for building things of eternal worth. For those who are single due to loss, God is the God who can turn our wounds into trophies of his grace, healing, strengthening, and renewing our minds to become testimonies and to minister to others. 
For those aching to no longer be single, not knowing if they will ever find that person to join their life to, God's not giving us relief or showing us the future in this area is only a reminder that it is like every other question of our lives, a sacrifice to be laid at God's feet and an opportunity to let God grow us where we're at. I want to pause here for a minute as we've just looked at some of the challenges or temptations for the single person. And before we continue thinking about the opportunities of singleness, or you might say the purpose behind singleness, and share a bit of my own testimony. I came from a broken home. Even as I began yearning for human relationship, I saw divorce. For several years, I tried to understand all the dynamics of my parents' failed marriage while hoping fervently to someday have my own. Less than six months after my parents separated, I received some wise counsel from my pastor. He said I should not seek to be in any romantic relationships for a while because I was still healing myself from a very deep relational wound. Well, it's the rare 15-year-old who would take that advice, and I didn't. Thirteen years later, I was no closer to being married and had far more relational wounds to heal from. But I also had many, many lessons to apply, and I had had a great deal of time to absorb them and to let God's wisdom apply them to my life as I realized that this Lucia girl I had known forever was pretty amazing and worth getting to know better. God blesses many people with the opportunity to learn and grow within a marriage relationship. But my testimony is that I do not think that I could have been the godly husband my wife needs had God not withheld marriage from me for so long. I know that my wife's testimony has similar elements. There are specific areas of our lives that God dealt with before we were married, and specific questions within our marriage that our time as singles allowed us to address quickly and easily, comparatively. I am now thankful in great part for those years of singleness because I did not have to drag Rachel through all those years of sanctification I most assuredly needed to get as far as I have gotten thus far. <laughs> Plenty more sanctification to come for me, by the way, thank the Lord. My testimony of singleness is really the testimony that every single person can discover, that God is present, he's working, and he has a purpose. So what are these opportunities of singleness? It is very easy especially for married people or people who wish very much to be married, to see singleness and think, not yet married, or once but no longer married. But we don't live in the future or the past. And God is not preparing every single person for marriage anyway. So what is there for us now? Perhaps the clearest teaching to recall from Scripture is that outside of the marriage relationship, parents are our primary human relationship. As an unmarried person with parents, you have the opportunity to be invested in your parents' lives in a way you simply will not have as a married person. Now, of course, culture has changed much of the way we see our obligations toward our parents or adult children from what you read about in scripture. Many adult children feel no need to be under their parents in any way. And many parents are quite happy to let their single children fly the nest and go do their own thing. But when we remember that our human relationships, all of them, are connected to our relationship with 
and service to God, we understand that such a self-focused view is not correct. Unless superseded through a marriage relationship, parents are still the primary force of sanctification in their children's lives. Their wisdom, care, and attention are invaluable in helping even adult children to grow in the Lord and walk rightly. And for children, the opportunity to minister in return as the Lord grows them, to continue benefiting from their parents' presence in their lives, and to love and bless their parents even as they themselves were loved as children, is beautiful and powerful. Another opportunity for single people without children, though not by any means exclusive to them, is to go into all the world. No person is so mighty as the one wholly devoted to God. And though marriage and parenthood are gifts from God and fully useful for his glory, the ability to give 100% of oneself to the ministry of the gospel is incredible. This is the example of Paul, poured out as an offering to the Lord. This is why 1 Corinthians speaks so positively about abstaining from marriage. Paul wants his readers to understand that the highest ideal above marriage, above singleness, above bearing children or abstaining from sex is devotion to God that is utterly unrivaled. Such unrivaled devotion, according to Paul, is easier for the single person. And though not all single people are destined to remain so, utilizing the time you now have to follow after God and his gospel work with reckless abandon is an unsurpassed gift. And of course, for the single Christian, as for every Christian, there's the church. A family that is always available to us, ever-changing, but forever built upon the unity of the Spirit and the gospel message. Even as we all need to be edified and lifted up, so too we all have much to offer if we allow God to use our circumstances. As I've shared part of my testimony, each and every one of us has the opportunity to let their life shout the glory of God. Single dads can be passionate teachers and contributors to the work of the church. Widows can travel the world and face death and imprisonment for the name of Christ. Divorcees can counsel others. Young people can volunteer, intern, use their talents, show kindness and friendship to church members of all ages, and set an example for all. In the same manner, it is the job of the church to be there for its single members. We should know who is single in our body and be ready to minister however is needed. Even as we seek to care for the health of married couples, something that is often stressed where single ministry is not, so we should be vigilant to ensure that single brothers and sisters are engaged and fully equipped to follow the Lord's call for their lives. We ought to know how to pray for one another, caring enough to ask after each other's well-being, because it is our business as the family of God. We can be thankful that whatever the makeup of our home, we all have one head, who is Christ, to show us how that home might be built into a bastion of heavenly living here on earth. All of us who have been raised with Christ are seeking the things that are above, not earthly things. We all endeavor by the Spirit's power to put to death what is earthly, 
to put off what is old and to put on what is new. We all can live Colossians 3, 12, and 13. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. Whether we are struggling with bitterness, loneliness, discontentment, doubt, anxiety, laziness, lust, or fear, the peace of Christ can rule in our hearts. Thank God. If you're here today and you have not been mindful of the type of home you are building, the kind of life you have been cultivating, now is the time to start being mindful. If you're a part of this body of believers, but this body is not a part of your life, would you consider changing that? Would you consider letting others in? Meeting someone for coffee and getting to know each other? Asking how you can pray for someone and sharing how they can pray for you? If you realize that Christ is not the Lord of your life, that he is not the head of your home, and you realize that that needs to change, please come talk to me or to the elders. Wherever we're at, single or not, we're right where the Lord planned. His divine power has for us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Even as we together, according to 1 Peter 2, are building a spiritual house, let us also individually be diligent to build our earthly homes as models for those that await us in glory. Lord, thank you for this church. Lord, thank you for your love, for your gospel work. Thank you for new life. Thank you that wherever our circumstances are, you are over them, you are in them, you are working through them. And God, as we continue to be mindful of our homes and what we are building them into, may your spirit awaken us to your leading, to what your word has to say for us. May we go from here encouraged, challenged, and eager to minister to each other and minister your gospel to a world that needs it so desperately. Most of all, Lord, may we have the things of heaven in mind above all else. May we look to you. May we hunger for you. May we chase after you. And may we trust that you will meet us. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.